Morning. Okay, I am stoked about today's message. I'm stoked about what we're going to do for the next few weeks, actually. Uh, we have been going through the book of Matthew, just to catch you up, if it's your first time here, or maybe your first time watching online, or listening on podcasts, however you may be hearing our program. But um, this is, we've been going through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, and chapter by chapter, and we've been doing that by breaking it down into sub-series, so that we can more accurately cover all the subject matter that's in here, and there is a ton in the book of Matthew. But today... We're actually going to leave Matthew for a few weeks, okay? And the reason is we're in Matthew 24, and I'd like to give you a little bit of uh, background information because Matthew 24 is uh, a very prophetic chapter. I mean, very prophetic, and it covers a lot of eschatology. How many people know what eschatology is? Okay, it's just a real big fancy word that's unnecessary that means uh, the part of theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and humankind. So... Matthew 24 has a lot of that. It deals with a lot of eschatology. But in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 9 also covers a lot of eschatology. Now, as a matter of fact, it has one of the greatest end-time prophecies in Scripture, if not the greatest end-time prophecy in Scripture. And that prophecy is called the 70-week prophecy. How many people have heard of that? It is a powerful, powerful prophecy. And in my opinion, it's the most profound end-time prophecy in print. That's That's just what I think. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look closely at Daniel chapter 9, and I think by doing that, it'll make Matthew 24 just a little easier to digest for us when we get a little bit of this background information. So how many people, are you guys excited about going back here? All right, here we go. All right, now, before we look at the 70-week prophecy, I want to look at what led up to that, okay? Because Daniel was faithful about two things, and everybody knew this. He was faithful about two things. First of all, he was faithful about reading God's Word, and he was faithful about praying. And he would pray no matter what. He would pray even when he was warned not to at the expense of his life. He would still take time to pray. He prayed three times a day. Now, how many people have heard of Daniel in the lion's den? A lot, good. A lot of you have heard of that, right? So Daniel in the lion's den actually happened around the same time as this prophecy we're going to be studying in Daniel chapter 9. I'm going to give you kind of a, a, a brief recap of, of Daniel in the lion's den just to catch you up. And if you haven't heard before, uh, but... Daniel was, like I said, very devout and dedicated to prayer. And because of his faithfulness to God, he moved up the ranks in the kingdom. Now remember, he was a slave. He was a captive in Babylon. But because he was so faithful to God, God always gave him favor in the eyes of the rulers. And so he raised up to where he was actually one of the rulers of provinces. He had moved up in seniority, if you will. He moved up in position. Now a lot of the people in that kingdom who weren't captives were upset about that. They didn't like that some, you know, Hebrew was coming in and actually getting some kind of authority. So they wanted so bad to get rid of him, but they couldn't find any reason to. They couldn't find a legitimate reason to get rid of him because he didn't do anything wrong that they could see. So the only way they were going to be able to get rid of him was if they found a way to do it concerning his faith. So there's this new king named King Darius and, uh, They thought, well, let's appeal to his pride. So they went to him and they said, oh, king, you are a magnificent and powerful king. You're like a god. You're amazing. And you can just see the king puffing up, right? And they said, as a matter of fact, you're so awesome of a king, so much like a god, that why don't you make a rule that anyone who prays to anyone except you will be thrown into the lion's den, right? You see where they're going with this? 
And so the king gets a little puffed up, and he says, okay, and he signs that, that into law. And once it becomes law, Daniel hears about it, didn't change a thing. He still prayed three times a day. And they knew he would do that. So they went to find Daniel, and sure enough, they found him praying. So they went back to the king, and they said, hey, um, you remember this law you made? Now, you do realize that according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, you cannot violate a law that's been signed. He's like, yeah, I know. They said, well, then, Daniel was caught praying to his God, and according to your law, he has to be thrown into the lion's den. Now, this hurt the king because the king actually liked him, but he had to keep the rules. So he takes him and has him tossed into a den full of lions, which, if you didn't know, that's what a lion's den is, right? (laughs) And so he's thrown in there, but... The king said, I believe that your God will deliver you. And so they put a rock over the, over the lion's den, and they waited. And the king worried about this all night because he liked Daniel. So he comes back the next day, and he rolls this stone away, and he looks down, and he says, are you okay, Daniel? And Daniel yells up and says, O king, live forever. God has delivered me. And those lions didn't touch him, didn't even scratch him. I, I mean, just in my weird imagination, I see him down there like petting him, and I'm purring, you know? <laughs> These lions. That's how I see that, right? So King Darius brings him out of there and takes all of his accusers and their families and throws them in, and they started getting eaten before they even touched the ground. Okay? So kind of a gross ending, but kind of cool in the same way, right? So this is what happened during Daniel in the lion's den. So we see that it's safe to say Daniel was an established prayer warrior. Everybody knew that he was a prayer warrior, and God had done amazing things through his prayer life. Now, Charles Spurgeon was a, a, was a preacher from, you know, back in the day, uh, and he was a very powerful preacher, and he wrote something that was really powerful and insightful about prayer, and I love this. It says, prayer pulls the rope below, and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly, and pulls continuously with all his might. I love that. So I titled, t- I titled today's message, Saved by the Bell. Now you know why. Okay, it's not because I like the sitcom in the 90s, all right? So I want, what we're going to learn today is that it, you know, if you want to see God move, we need to ring that prayer bell more often. We need to be continuously and passionately ringing that bell. And when we ring that bell often enough, we get God's attention and we start to see things change. So let's, let's jump on in. Daniel chapter 9. Starting in verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Okay, now, Daniel was a prophet. And he'd been in captivity since his youth. So he'd been in captivity a long, long time. And at this time, he was around 90 years old. Okay, around 90 years old. But he was still committed and passionate man of God. Now, during his life, he had seen God move in so many ways. And, and if you want to see how powerful his life was, I really recommend you read this book. The book of Daniel is one of my favorite books. And you get to see God's power in so many ways. But when you read that, you'll see that, that, that he had got to witness God's power firsthand, time and time again. So where we're at now is this is the first year of the reign of the Medo-Persian Empire. It's around 556 BC. And what happened was they came in to Babylon and overthrew the establishment and they became 
the new kingdom there. So they were in charge. The Medes and the Persians were in charge, and they, there was new management, if you will, and, and the new king was called King Darius. Now, the future at this time, I know this seems like a lot, but the future at this time was kind of uncertain, but yet hopeful. And it was hopeful because the king really liked Daniel. And so he thought he you know, might be able to get some things done. So one day when he was reading from Jeremiah, he was reading the book of Jeremiah, God revealed something to him. Now, have you ever been reading and just all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I've never seen that before and I've read that. How many people have had that happen to them? You're just reading and all of a sudden you're like, what? Whoa, I mean, I've read this book 10 times. I've never seen that. Well, this is what happened to Daniel. I mean, he's as wise as he was. He's reading through this. He probably read this book time and time again. But this day, something jumped out to him. God revealed something to him. See, Israel's captivity was all because of God's discipline. The destruction of Jerusalem was because of God's discipline. Because the Jews continually would turn on God. They would do good for a while. God would bless them and establish them and make them powerful. And then they'd get stupid. And they'd start following idol gods and intermarrying with, you know, with, with uh, pagan people. And, and all of a sudden, they'd have altars to foreign gods in their land. And the next thing you know, God would say, oh, I mean, okay, now I have to take everything away from you again. Right? So... He had to take everything from them, so the, the captivity they were in and the destruction of Jerusalem was all their fault. Okay, this was God's discipline on them. But in reading Jeremiah, he realized that God put a time frame on this discipline. God said that this discipline would last 70 years. And Daniel starts going, wait a minute, wait a minute, when did I get here? And he starts adding it up, he's like, it's almost 70 years now. This is almost over. And, I mean, he's really excited, right? And so, since they were quickly approaching that 70th year, Daniel did what he always does. He trusted God and started praying, right? But before we discuss his prayer, I want you to notice what inspired him to pray, because this is something I think Christianity is getting really bad at, okay? And I mean all of Christianity. What inspired him to pray was he was reading the Word of God, and God revealed something to him. And it inspired him to draw closer to God. See, the Word of God, I think a lot of times we feel like, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to read, but really it's the preacher's job on Sunday to tell us everything, right? And that's not the case. The Word of God is, is powerful, and, and it often inspires not just life change, but when you read the Word of God, a lot of times it'll, it'll speak to you in a way that just makes you want to pray. Have you ever been reading and come across something, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, and you just have to stop and pray about it? That, when that happens, that's God revealing himself to you in a deeper way because you're allowing him to speak to you. So the word of God is very powerful and it inspires prayer and life change. And if you look at Hebrews 4.12, the author of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active. Do you hear that? It's living and active. It's not just words on a page. It's living and active and sharper than in any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So if you struggle praying, and we all go through moments where we do, but if you struggle praying, I'm going to guess you're probably not reading much either. Because here's the thing we forget, is that prayer and the Word of God are eternally linked. Intricately and eternally linked. They just are. Jeremiah was reminded of God's promise through the Word of God, and it inspired him to start praying right so they're linked they go together prayer and reading go together so it's important to note that i mean nothing's changed 
since that time. Nothing has changed since that time. Because today, if you want to know what the future holds, I mean, if you want to know, you know, what God's promises are, you're going to have to read the Word of God. Right? If you want to draw closer to God, you're going to have to read the Word of God. Because we should pray before we read, and we should read to be inspired to pray. It's just how God communicates with us, right? And so a lot of time, the reason you feel so disconnected from God is you're usually struggling in one of those two areas, or both of those areas. You're not reading or praying. All right, so I just wanted to throw that in. Now, Daniel's prayer is going to reveal three important components of prayer that I think it's really important that we look at. So let's take a look at these three components of Daniel's prayer. First, he had a sincere heart. And he was full of praise. Let's take a look at this. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 3. He says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, listen to this, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Okay, now notice that He starts this with sincerity, a show of sincerity, and a genuine concern for Israel, for God's people. It says that he sought God in prayer by fasting and with sackcloth and ashes. How many people have ever heard of sackcloth and ashes? How many people know what it is? Okay, we're going to take care of that. Okay, so it says he sought him with, with with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, fasting means that you're depriving yourself of something. To show God how serious you are. To show God how passionate you are about getting in touch with him. Right? So when you fast, it's generally food. Now, I fast still sometimes. I fast broccoli. (laughs) I fast Brussels sprouts. A lot of green stuff I fast because that's how godly I am. No, I'm just kidding. But there are times when when I feel like I really want God's attention, there's times that I'll fast. I'll give up something very important to me and take the time I would have used to do whatever that was, eat or whatever it is you're fasting, and give that time to prayer. That's what it's about. So it says first that, that he fasted. Now, it's honestly, rarely were we willing to give up anything for God, let alone food. But when you are willing to give up something for God, you'll really find that, that you start to make a deeper connection with him. So then it says that he, he used sackcloth and ashes. Now, that was an Old Testament symbol of mourning or repentance, right? So someone wanting to, to show their repentant heart would wear sackcloth, sit in ashes, and put the ashes on their head. Okay, I know it's strange, but let me explain. See, sackcloth was a coarse material that was made out of black goat's hair. Okay, now, it wasn't comfortable. It was itchy, it would poke you, it was not comfortable, but they would wear that to show people that I'm not comfortable with my situation. I'm not happy with where, I at, where, where I'm at. I don't want to be comfortable here. So that's why they would do that. They would wear that. Now, the ashes that they would sit in and put on their head symbolized that they felt their life was in ruin, that their life was in desolation. So they would sit in the ruin, the ashes, pour the ashes over their head and wear this uncomfortable garment. And this would show uh, people and would show God, more importantly, that they were serious about what they were asking and serious about seeking his advice. So I just think it's important that you understood that. But the next thing you have to notice is before he asked anything, Before he asked anything, first he displayed sincerity, and then he praised. He praised God. Did you notice that? He praised God. Now, doing this kind of reminded him who God was and what God's capable of. That's why he did that. You know, sincerely praising God should be the first thing we do before we pray. Now, how many people here actually do that? 
I mean, sincerely pray. When you pray, you praise God for everything he's done first. I mean, a lot of us don't. And it's kind of sad because we just like to come to God and drop our grocery list. Have you ever noticed that? When people say they have a prayer list, it's, it's a grocery list. I mean, they're dropping before God saying, I need money for this, I'm struggling with this, and they just go through this list of God give me these things. They never stop for a second to think of what he's already given them. They never stop to praise him for what he's already done, for the promises he's made, for what he's capable of doing. If you really want to ring that bell, if you really want to get God's attention in prayer, the first thing you should do is praise him for everything he's done. It puts your mindset in the right place. It makes you think about what God's already done, how powerful he is, and it makes you realize that no matter how big your problems are, God's bigger. Because you remember everything he's done for you before you even ask for anything. I once heard somebody say something that really encouraged me about prayer. It said, we shouldn't tell God how big our problems are. We should tell our problems how big our God is. I, I love that. We go to God afraid sometimes that our problems are too big for him. That should never, ever be. So the next time you pray, don't start by reciting your grocery list to God. Take a second and think what all he's done in your life. I mean, when I stop and think, I mean, I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. And he loved me despite me. Gave me eternal life despite me. It was completely by his grace. And when I start thinking about that, my family, that, how my family's healthy, how God has blessed my family, I start thinking a little more confidently before I pray. I think it's really, really important that we praise him for what he is, for what he's done, and what he's going to do. And that's what Daniel did here. So the next component was he pled guilty. Now, this is something nobody likes to do. Nobody likes to do. It's basically confession. So Daniel 9, uh, 9 starting in chapter 5, he says, We have sinned, committed iniquity, and acted wickedly and rebelled, uh, even turning aside from your commandments and your ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, and all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, uh, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have what? We have sinned against you. The Lord our God, uh, to the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he has set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses to the, uh, the servant of God. For we have what? We have sinned against him. Thus, he has confirmed his words, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers and who ruled us, uh, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like it, what was done to Jerusalem. And it was written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from him, uh, our iniquity, I'm sorry, by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and has brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous uh, with respect to all his deeds 
which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. Okay, that was a lot. That was a lot. But basically, after, you know, his sincerity and his show of sincerity, and after praising God, he confesses his sin. He pleads guilty of sin. Not just his sin, but the sin of his entire nation, the whole sin of Israel. Right? And this is so important because when we confess our sin, we are saying, you're right, God, and I'm wrong. Now, how many people in here like admitting that they're wrong? Yeah, notice that no wives raise their hand. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's terrible, Pastor Chris. That's awful. I'm ashamed. Okay, I'm over it. Anyway, but when we confess our sin, we're saying God's right and we are wrong. And that is so important because it shows God that we are owning our sin, that we're owning it. Okay, we're not making excuses. Well, I wouldn't have done that if, and everybody here has made an excuse for their sin. No excuses, no justifications, no finger pointing. Well, they're worse than me. Have you ever done that? You know, they're worse than me, God. Sure, I did this, but at least I didn't do that. None of that, right? Just owning the fact that you sinned, just, just owning it, right? Let's God know you're serious. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, John discusses this in the New Testament. I love this, starting in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are what? Deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we what? Confess our sins. Plead guilty is what this is talking about. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Okay, so confession allows us to have this clean slate and this open line of communication with God again. And when you hold back, when the enemy's whispering in your ear, you don't need to confess that. That's not your fault. You'd have never done that if your wife hadn't done this. I mean, I know that's happened to you guys before. And so you start justifying and doing all those things. Well, guess what? God says you're not ready. You're not ready. When you're ready, you'll admit it. When you confess those things, you get a clean slate. Now, it doesn't make sense to me how God would forgive everything just by confession. I don't get it. But I'm sure thankful for it, aren't you? I am sure thankful for that. It says if we confess our sin, then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So what I'm saying is unconfessed sin hinders our prayer life and estranges us from God. It really, really does. Have, have you ever been praying and you feel like no one's listening? I mean, have you ever been praying and, and you get so distracted in your prayer, you don't feel like you're communicating with God to where you even lose your place and start thinking about other things? Anybody ever done that? Oh, yeah, that's, that's awful, isn't it? Where you start praying and you're going, Lord, I am so serious. Did I leave the garage door open? You know, those things start popping into your mind. You just feel like God isn't listening. You feel like no one's listening to you when you pray. You feel like your prayers aren't getting anywhere. Now, when that happens to you, search your life for any unconfessed sin. Search your life for it. And when you find it, not if, when you find it, confess it. And you'll find that the line of communication starts opening up again. And you can feel God's presence again. And you feel like he's hearing you. Okay, but we have to confess the sin in our life. We have to confess that sin. And holding out isn't going to change anything. God knows everything. He knows everything. You're not going to, you know, trick him into believing you're innocent. Right? So no lawyer is going to get you off on a technicality. All right, you have got to just own it and confess it. And this is what Daniel did. 
Now, the last component, component three, is petitioning God or making a request of God. Daniel 9, 15 through 19. And it says, And now, O Lord our God, uh, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is to this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. Our Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all nations around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. Okay, so Daniel's prayer started with proof of sincerity. Remember, sackcloth and ashes, right, and, and, and fasting, right? And then, and then he praised God for everything he was, everything he's done, everything he could do. He praised God. Then he pled guilty of his sin. He confessed his sin. Now we're to the part, the very last thing, now notice this, the last thing he did, after doing all those other things, the last thing he did was present his petition to God or make his request before God. It's the last thing. I can't, I can't beat that enough. The last thing. All those other things were first, so they're important. The last thing he did was make his petition before God. Now, if you notice in, in the way he prayed here that they were, he was focused on three main things. Number one, delivering Israel from bondage and reestablishing their nation. Now, the bondage they were in, the captivity they were in, they deserved it. And Daniel knew they deserved it. Notice he didn't refute that at all. He didn't debate that. He's like, you know what? We're terrible. I get it. We deserve to be here, God. We're trash. The re- this is the Chris Mosley version. We're trash. We constantly screw up, and because we constantly screw up, you have to discipline us. We deserve every bit of this. We should be here. But, but, your word says that there's a, there's a time for this to end. There's a time for this to end, and you set that time. Now, he reminded God that this is only supposed to last 70 years. And I've heard people before say, you don't have to remind God of anything. But listen, what Daniel's doing is something I still do, and I, and I wish everybody would do, and I learned this from other people, is that he is praying God's word back to him. Has anybody ever done that? That is powerful, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing, it's not like you're saying, God, I think you're dumb and you forgot this, so I'm going to tell you. That's not what it is. What you're doing is you're saying, God, here's what you said. I read it. I believe it. I know you're able to do it. That's why I'm bringing it back up to you. I'm trusting in this promise because you are faithful to keep your word. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It shows him that you know his promises and you believe he's powerful enough and faithful enough to keep them. That's all it is. I've prayed that back to God so many times. I've prayed his word back to him. Here's when I find myself praying a lot back to him. Lord, you say that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hmm, why would I pray that one back to him? Because I'm just telling him I know I'm, I'm terrible, 
and I'm about to make a confession, and I believe you're going to keep your word and you'll cleanse me. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with praying his word back to him. The second thing it was focused on was Daniel asked God to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. He wanted to restore and build Jerusalem because Daniel wanted everyone to again see that God can bless his people even after he disciplines them. He wanted them to know that God can still bless his people. And that's really important because God never gives up on anybody. Yes, he'll bring discipline in your life. But as soon as you learn from it and confess the things you've done, he's ready for the next chapter and he's forgotten the last one. It drives me crazy when I see people who will not forgive themselves. Have you ever met that person? Have you ever been that person that will not forgive yourself? Because you go to God, you confess it as sin, but you have this guilt built up and you feel like, how could God? You're doubting God when you don't forgive yourself. He said if you sincerely confess it, he'll cleanse you from all of it. So holding on to it either means you like it or you don't believe he can do what he said he's going to do. He said he would cleanse you from how much unrighteousness? All of it. All of it. So if God's forgiven you, who are you to hold, your, hold that against you? Okay, so he wanted to show people that God still blesses his people even after they've messed up. And lastly, he asked them to restore and rebuild the temple. Because the temple signified God's presence among Israel. That's, that's what it signified. And Daniel wanted people to know that God's forgiveness is real and that he can't be done away with just by destroying his temple. He always stays with his people, even when they're making mistakes, because he's always waiting for them to confess. This is what he wanted to show people by restoring this temple. So this was, a, this was no small prayer. He wasn't you know, you know, asking for enough money to pay his light bill here. He was asking for the people they'd been in captivity to for decades to let them go, and not just let them go, let them reestablish themselves as a nation and reestablish their worship, which this kingdom did not believe in. Okay, this is a big, big ask. But he wasn't afraid to ask it. Now, why is it so important that we understand this prayer and understanding the, you know, the workings of the coming kingdom? Why is that so important? And I'm going to answer that more in depth in next week's sermon, but I will say this much. I will say this much. This prayer is going to be the kickoff of the 70-week prophecy. Okay, this prayer is going to kick off that 70-week prophecy, and it is such an amazing prophecy. You guys are going to love what happens through this prophecy. Okay, this prayer is also going to show us how powerful prayer really is. Because this prayer kicks off probably the greatest prophecy of all time and changes the way we see the end of time forever. That's how powerful this prayer is. And, you know, I think sometimes... Believers lose sight of that. We lose sight of how powerful the gift we have of prayer really is. We lose sight of that. And I think sometimes we pray because we're supposed to, not because we really think it's going to change anything. And you know how you can tell that? Because you will pray about something and come out of that prayer still worrying about it and trying to figure out how to get out of it. Anybody ever done that? Lord, help me. Get through to this person, and you get out and go, okay, what can I do? You don't trust him with anything. Lord, help me with this. And you, as soon as you get done praying, you get up and try to figure out how to do it on your own. You don't leave it with him and wait patiently on him because you don't really believe he can do it. You pray because that's what Christians are supposed to do. And we pray these, these quick prayers that sound a lot like the prayer we just prayed yesterday. You ever notice that? 
It almost becomes repetition. Okay, I did what I'm supposed to do. I prayed. But I don't think we really pray saying, this has to be dealt with, and I know how to deal with it. I will give it to the creator of all things. I will give it to the God who saved my soul. I'm going to give it to him and let him handle it. We don't think that way anymore. Daniel knew the time was coming for this, for this, you know, this discipline to end. And he believed that when he prayed, God was going to do something. That's why he asked so specifically for these things. That's another thing that lets me know that, that believers pray because they're supposed to more than because they believe something's going to happen. Is a lot of times we don't pray specifically. And I think it's because we're afraid if we do, he won't answer. Which I don't get that. People say, Lord, bless the missionaries. What the heck does that mean? What does that mean? When you pray about something, be specific. Lord, our missionaries are in need of funds so that they can feed those people. You know that if they don't come up with $10,000 in the next four weeks, they're going to lose everything they have. God, I am asking you, who can provide everything and anything, to provide that $10,000 for them so that they can continue on doing the things that they've been doing. That's a specific prayer. We're afraid to do that. Because we're afraid he won't answer. Or we just don't believe he'll answer. We don't want to take the time. Pray specifically. Don't just say, God bless my kids. I think we're all guilty of that, aren't we? Lord, bless my kids. Bless them with what? What do you want for your kids? Ask specifically. Because if you don't ask God specifically, how will you know if he answered? How will you know? But for some reason, we're afraid. Say, Lord, I have a daughter. I have a son. Who's a, you know he's a believer, he's drifted from you, he's gotten involved in drugs and alcohol or whatever it is. And Lord, I want you to put somebody in their life that can influence them and turn them back to you. I want them to be a good servant of you. I want someone to bring them back into the fold. That's a specific prayer. You'll know when God answers that. God, there's someone at work I want to reach. You know who he is. Open a door where he will be interested in hearing about you. That's specific, but we don't pray like that because I feel like Christians have lost sight of how powerful prayer actually is. Right? It's, it's very, very powerful. Now, you never know how or when God is going to answer your prayers, which I think is a problem for us because we're a fast food society, aren't we? Let's be honest. If you order from Amazon and it's prime, and you don't get it in two days, you are, you are ready to get the pitchforks and torches out and storm their building. I didn't get this in two days. What a ripoff, right? When you go through the drive-thru and order your sandwich without everything, you hear that guy? You know what I'm talking about? That guy's always in front of me at the drive-thru. I want a Big Mac without Big Mac sauce, without lettuce, without onions, without pickles. I'm like, you just want a hamburger. Order a hamburger, you know what I mean? But if you have your big specific order and don't pull up to the window and it's done, you're ticked. Because we are used to getting what we want right now. Instant gratification. But that's not how God works. You don't know how or when he's going to answer your prayers. But here's what you do know. There's two things you can count on when you pray. If you pray sincerely. You can count on him answering your prayer. And when he does, it will be perfect and it will be powerful. That's exactly how God answers prayers. Now... He doesn't always give us what we want, but he will give you what you need at the absolute perfect time. At the perfect time. Has anyone ever prayed about something and the answer was totally different than what you expected? Totally different. You say, Lord, I, 
I, I want to move up in this job so I, can, so I can make more money and so I can, I can take care of my family. And another job offer comes along. You get more time at home and make more money. And you didn't pray for that. God's going, yeah, that's neat. I know what you need, and that's not it. Here's what you need. That's what's awesome about God. It's perfect, and it's powerful. We just don't believe that enough. We need to believe that. And when we believe that, we'll start seeing God move. We'll be ringing the bell more often, right? We'll start seeing God move. And then we'll have more peace and more confidence. You should have peace and confidence when you pray. The Apostle Paul reminded uh, his readers of this in his letter to the Philippians. If you look at Philippians 4, 6, he says, be anxious for what? Be anxious for nothing. Can anybody in here raise their hand and say they are not anxious for anything? Yeah, I didn't think so. All right, because we still have a little struggle, right, trusting God. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in but in everything by what? Prayer. prayer. Prayer and supplication, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this is such a powerful statement, and this is what Daniel did. Daniel knew it was almost time. He didn't panic. He said, God... Remember, you said 70 years, and this would be over. Well, we're almost at 70 years. We're here because we're terrible. We deserved it. This discipline, we earned it. We should have got this. We deserve more than this. But your word said it would only last 70 years, and the clock is almost ticked down to zero. So here's what I want, Lord. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be worried. I'm going to ask you, the creator of all things, somehow let these people let us go. That's very specific, isn't it? Somehow convince them to let us rebuild our city. Somehow convince them to let us rebuild our temple. Because you're, you're able to do all things. That's why I came to you. The end. Amen. You know what I mean? This is, this is how he prayed. And as we're going to see next week, that's exactly what God is going to do. So, you know, I want to end this message. I know you guys are saying, oh, we're not going to get into 70 week. Well, that'll keep you coming back, right? And I don't know how long it's going to take to preach the 70-week prophecy, to be honest with you. Maybe a week, maybe eight weeks. I don't know. I remember Pastor Nate, the last time I preached through the book of Daniel, I, it took me nine weeks to preach through that prophecy. He walked up to me and he said, are you literally going to preach 70 weeks on the 70 weeks? <laughs> I go, no, give me some time. You know what I mean? But I don't know how long it's going to take, but, but it's going to be worth it. But here's the thing. I, I, I want to end this message by reminding you again of Spurgeon's words. I think those words are so powerful because every time we pray, it's like ringing a bell that goes right to the throne of God, right to the throne of God. And there's some people who barely ring it. Those are the people who, who do it because they're supposed to, not because they believe anything. They're like, oh, yeah, I got to ring the bell. And they walk by, right? And there's other people who might go, okay, and walk away, right? And then there's people who jump up and grab it and swing on that like Quasimodo and say, I am going to sit here and ring this sucker until you answer me because I know you're capable. That's who we need to be. We need to be the people that consistently and faithfully ring that prayer bell, believing that all the answers to all of our problems, believing that our direction, our future is in his hands and waiting until we hear from him. That's the kind of people we need to get, we need to be because we will get God's attention. Right, Daniel got God's attention, and pardon the pun, but really Israel was saved by the bell. Right, Because of ringing that bell, often and consistently, three times a day his whole life, 
when he prayed this prayer, God answered it, right? And we need to be those people that pray so powerfully and so consistently that we know no matter what comes on us, we can be saved by the bell. And remember, saved just means delivered, and we know, we'll know when difficult time comes that God is going to be there, and he's going to work on our behalf and give us what's perfect and powerful every time. I, did, I just think this prayer was so amazing. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. We'll pick up there next week as we jump into the 70-week prophecy. But I'm going to ask you, Wood, to please bow your heads. If this is your first time here, we always give an invitation, and here's why. I just believe the word of God's powerful. I believe it. I'll never forget what changed my life. I, I, I was at this revival. I didn't even know what that was, but I stopped because it seemed weird they were having church on a Tuesday. And it wasn't the sermon that, that, that really leveled me. I mean, it, it, it got my attention. But afterwards, he said, read this passage. I hadn't read the Bible in years. Matter of fact, I, I read very little in my whole life up to that point. Because my big hang-up was, how can God forgive me? And in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which is my favorite passages to this day, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Those words put hooks in me, if you will. And he just reeled me in. That's how the Word of God works. And whenever I, I share the Word of God with somebody, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if there's someone here who doesn't know where they stand with Christ, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to chase you down. I'm not going to email you. I'm not going to find you after church. None of that. I just want to pray for you. Because for some very important reason, God has got your attention. So just make eye contact and you put your head right back down. Bless those people. And I'm just going to pray for you. Bless those people. Because... If he's calling you, that means he desires a relationship with you. And all he's waiting for is for you to ask. Now, believers, I'm going to pray for us also because I still believe the time is close. But even if it's not, we never know when our time is. And while we're here, we need to be about the Father's business. We need to be working. We need to be praying. We need to be seeking God's direction. And I think we get so distracted we don't do that anymore. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you that you love us despite us because I, I just can't wrap my mind around how a holy God can love people like us who constantly sin. But I'm thankful you do. And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, undoubtedly there's things in their mind that's hindering them. They believe you don't want to have a relationship. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I just pray that you would clear that out of their mind. And let them know that you sent your son to die for them. And if they can believe that what he did was enough, they can have eternal life. If they make that decision, I pray that they contact us or contact a good uh, Christian person, someone to walk with them in their journey. And God, for those of us who already know you, we have to confess we get distracted. We've lost our passion for prayer. Renew that fire in us to be close to you and to reach people for you. Let us pray sincerely, believing that you're capable of doing what we're asking. Let us be world changers like Daniel. And God, I just pray that as we leave here today, let us live what we profess. We pray that when people speak to us, they hear you. When they see what we do, they see your works. 
And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, I pray we get the opportunity to come back and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're worthy of at least one more time. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.